This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. In 1964, looks like it might be the year of the ballot or the bullet. Why does it look like it might be the year of the ballot or the bullet? Because Negroes have listened to the trickery and the lies and the false promises of the white man now for too long. And they're fed up. They've become disenchanted. They've become disillusioned. They've become dissatisfied. And all of this has built up frustrations in the black community that makes the black community throughout America today more explosive than all of the atomic bombs the Russians can ever invent. 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Family, the 50s and 60s was such a pivotal time for us as black folks in this country. Some of us may not like to admit it, but so much progress has been made. Granted, we still have a long way to go, but we can't discount the impact from the work done back then. I mean, that time period is so rich from the perspective of the movement, black leadership, major civil rights events. Just think about it. Think about all that happened during roughly a 10 to 15 year period. The Little Rock Nine, the lynching of Emmett Till, Rosa Parks' refusal to stand, the Civil Rights Acts of 57, 64, and 68, the Freedom Riders, Brown versus the Board of Education, sit-ins, the March on Washington, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, Bloody Sunday in Selma, and the assassinations of MLK, Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, and Fred Hampton. And today in 2021, here we sit again in the midst of civil unrest, fighting against racism, and fighting for social justice, literally fighting for our lives while we watch the demonization, dehumanization, and the assassination of people who share our heritage and culture. There's so much value to be had in studying words from our leaders from that time. They were not only brilliant, but many times prophetic. They spoke words that the masses needed to hear then just to survive. But what they didn't know is that today, More than 60 years later, their words would still hold so much impact, so much truth, and so much power. That's why today, both myself and David Banner are bringing you powerful words that have held impact on us. 
powerful words that we want to share with you make you better, stronger, and more informed. First, I'll talk to you about Malcolm X, and then I'll pass the mic over to Banner, who will talk to you about a powerful quote from John Henrique Clark. But after Banner finishes, make sure you stick around to hear the actual recording of Malcolm X delivering his own words, because ultimately, I can't do them justice, so I want you to hear them straight from him. Before we get into our first leader in speech, I wanted to set the backdrop for you. It's June 1963. President Kennedy had proposed a civil rights bill that would ban discrimination based on race, religion, sex, or national origin in respect to jobs and public accommodations, only to be assassinated five months later in November. Then, as we move into 1964, Malcolm X officially announces his resignation from the Nation of Islam and publicly reassures other civil rights leaders that he had, quote, forgotten every bad thing they had said about me, and I pray they can also forget the many bad things I said about them. Fast forward one month to April 3rd, 1964, at Corey Methodist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. That's where we find Brother Malcolm in the midst of delivering an extremely powerful speech that was hyper-relevant then and eerily relevant now. The speech is called The Ballot or the Bullet, and it's ranked seventh in the top 100 American speeches of the 20th century by scholars of the American Public Address. In it, Malcolm X advises African Americans to exercise their right to vote, but he cautions that if the government continues to prevent African Americans from attaining full equality, it might be necessary for them to take up arms. My God, that should sound so familiar to you right now. The first excerpt I'll read is about putting our differences aside and operating from a place of strength. It's about understanding that strength in the black community is a result of the unity, and that allowing our internal differences, big or small, to get in the way of our overall progress is a mistake and strategically devastating to our cause. That cause, of course, being equality. As a group, as a collective, as a community of black people, we need to unify to change the rules, the process, the entire system that has been constructed to hold us in a less than desirable position. Malcolm knew that. He knew that working together on the same accord was really our superpower. And so with that, I'll jump into the first excerpt. So, as you can see, brothers and sisters, today, this afternoon, it is not our intention to discuss religion. We're going to forget religion. If we bring up religion, we'll be in an argument. And the best way to keep from arguments and differences, as I said earlier, is to put your religion at home, in the closet. Keep it between you and your God. Because if it hasn't done anything more for you than it has, you need to put it away anyway. Whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, or a nationalist, we all have the same problem. They don't hang you because you're Baptist. They hang you because you're black. They don't attack me because I'm Muslim. They attack me because I'm black. They attack us all for the same reason. All of us catch hell from the same enemy. We're all in the same bag, the same boat. We suffer political oppression economic exploitation, and social degradation, all of them from the same enemy. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Anytime you live in the 20th century, 1964, and you're walking around here singing, we shall overcome, the government has failed us. This is part of what's wrong with you. 
You do too much singing. Today it's time to stop singing and start swinging. You can't sing up on freedom, but you can swing up on some freedom. Cassius Clay can sing, but singing didn't help him to become the heavyweight champion of the world. Swinging helped him to become the heavyweight champion of the world. This government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. Whew. Wow. <laughs> tell me you felt that. Tell me, tell me you see how needed that message is today. Tell me you got something from it. Right? Because people who oppose his words and the elevation of black America, they got something from it. The people that wanted to see Malcolm fall did. They got something from it. The people who want to see me, you, us fail, do. The people who oppose you are better listeners, and that's on us. There's so many things in those words from Malcolm, so many things that we allow to divide us. Social class, educational status, political affiliation, zip code, what side of the city you live in. Hell, are you even Team Jeezy or Team Gucci? And don't get it twisted, right? It's not that these things aren't important, because they are, at least some of them. But damn, isn't our right to breathe more important? Isn't our right to equality more important? Isn't our right to raise carefree, worry-free children more important? We spend so much energy, time, and emotional capacity arguing amongst ourselves on topics that shouldn't matter nearly as much as our ability to drive down the street, survive a traffic stop, rent an Airbnb, shop in a store, play in the park, eat ice cream in our own living room, hell, sleep in our own bed. It's just my humble opinion. But we owe so much that it boggles me when we can't find our way to the same page just long enough to make change happen. We owe every civil rights activist, we owe every black person or ally who was beaten, offended, harmed, hurt, or killed. We owe our children, the ones here and the ones yet to be born. We talk about being our ancestors' wildest dreams. And if that's true, then we need to understand that being our ancestors' dreams isn't free. It can't be. In return, we owe something. We owe them. We owe them hard work in creating a world so fair, so equal, so different from what they experienced that it's truly unimaginable to them. We are their wildest dreams, and in return, we owe them creation of a world they couldn't dream about on their best day. We owe them a world that makes every sacrifice they made worth it, every atrocity they survived or didn't survive worth it. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. We owe it to make sure that their living and dying was not in vain, but instead in dedication to what we would do with the tenacity and resilience they instilled into our bloodlines. We owe backwards and we owe forwards to the people who will call us their ancestors tomorrow, the people who will fulfill the dreams that we have today 
we owe them. On to the next excerpt. And if you don't feel this one, then check your pulse because your heart ain't beating, your eyes don't see, and your ears can't hear. This excerpt was delivered in 1964, but you can't tell me that Malcolm wasn't in a prophetic state of mind when he uttered these words. I'm not even going to summarize this one because it's so clear and so relevant to us today. Just listen. 22 million black victims of Americanism are waking up and they're gaining a new political consciousness, becoming politically mature. And as they develop this political maturity, they're able to see the recent trends in the political elections. They see that they see that the whites are so evenly divided that every time they vote, the race is so close, they have to go back and count the votes all over again. And that, which means that any block, any minority that has a block of votes that stick together is in a strategic position. Either way you go, that's who gets it. You're in a position to determine who will go to the White House and who will stay in the doghouse. You're the one who has that power. You can keep Johnson in D.C. or you can send him back to his Texas cotton patch. You're the one who sent Kennedy to Washington. You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. When you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years, and all the legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and gotten it out of the way. Oh, and now they bring you up. You put them first, and they put you last, because you're a chump, a political chump. That's the end of Malcolm's words right there, but... So as you, as you digest what he said, you can't tell me he wasn't on fire with those words. You can't tell me you didn't think about Obama's presidential wins, both of them. You can't tell me you didn't think about this recent election in November with Trump and Biden. You can't tell me you didn't think about the role Black America played in that election. You can't tell me you didn't think about Georgian flipping blue because of Black, that you didn't think about the impact of people like Stacey Abrams and Keisha Lance Bottoms and Killer Mike. You can't tell me you didn't feel proud as you heard the words that Malcolm spoke 57 years ago when he predicted just how impactful the Black vote would be. The same Black vote that people were fighting for just a few short years before his words. And honestly, the black vote that we are still fighting for today. How can you exist today and not cherish your vote? How many times, days, and ways do you need it exampled? It matters. You matter. We matter. But it's not just these words that matter. They're powerful words from many, many black men and women that matter. But before I turn it over to Banner to break down more words that matter, from Dr. John Henry Clark. Please allow me to share just a bit more context about him with you. Dr. John Henry Clark was a Pan-Africanist writer, historian, professor, and a pioneer in the creation of Africana studies starting in the late 1960s. He was born on New Year's Day 1915 in Union Springs, Alabama, but by the time he was 18, he had moved to Harlem and begun developing as a writer, 
and lecturer, ultimately becoming a part of what we now know as the Harlem Renaissance. Later, he will be the founding chairman of the Department of Black and Puerto Rican Studies at Hunter College. In addition, he was named as the Carter G. Woodson Distinguished Visiting Professor of African History at Cornell University's Africana Studies and Research Center, founding the African Heritage Studies Association, along with the Black Caucus of the African Studies Association in 1968, two causes which ultimately helped him become the founding chairman. His greatest period of influence resides in the 1960s, where he was a prominent intellectual during the Black Power movement, advocating studies on African-American experience and the place of Africans in world history. He challenged the views of academic historians and helped shift the way African history was studied and taught. Overall, Clark was a scholar devoted to redressing what he saw as a systematic and racist suppression and distortion of African history by traditional scholars, and accused his detractors of having Eurocentric views. His writing included six scholarly books and many scholarly articles. So now that you know a bit more about Dr. Clark, I want to hand the mic over to Brother David Banner so he can share more words with you. Peace. Peace. This is David Banner, and this quote comes from the legendary John Henry Clark. He says, to control a people, you must first control what they think about themselves and how they regard their culture. And when your conqueror makes you ashamed of your culture and your history, he needs no prison walls and no chains to hold you. You've heard me say on this show that I believe that most Black people don't like being Black or African or whatever we're calling ourselves this month. A lot of times people will hoop and holler and, and, you know, be what's cool at the time and being so-called woke is what's popular. But I can tell by the way that we wear our hair, the people that we look up to, the people that we marry are significant signs about how we feel about ourselves. I said on the show one time, you should want your child to look just like you. And if your child doesn't, that is, in most cases, not all, a sign about how you feel about yourself. Or in some cases, your child is a reflection of what you would have wanted to be yourself. So from a religious standpoint, you know, does the God that you pray to look like you? I remember Franz Fanon saying, if you speak you know, any language, but an indigenous language that's connected to you. And to a certain degree, you have a vested interest in the people who are oppressing you, or you give up the control to the people who control the language. So people want to speak French, Russian, English, Spanish, anything but an indigenous language that's connected to you and your culture um, says a lot about you and who you want to give your control up to. The fact that in most cases, most Black people in America praise religions, praise the two religions that were the most oppressive to Africans. The two religions or the two groups of people who had the biggest vested interest in uh, the transatlantic slave trade. We want to live by 
work with, even think about, you know, our children. We are one of the few groups of people who send our kids to get educated to go and work for the same people that plot and plan against us. Other groups of people don't send their children to school to go and work for us. We believe that anything but ourselves is better or that they are better. Most of us, when we get money, when we get uh, esteem, we take it and give it to other people. And I believe that's a tell sign of what we think of self. So if it is truly to control the people, you must first control what they think about themselves. Well, look at most of the movies that uh, portray us, even the ones that we make. Most of the movies that are made by black people have the same narrative that's made by white people. It's just black people that's making movies to make white people comfortable. It's my belief. We can't even be black in our own history. You know, <laughs> if you look at jokes, one of the biggest things somebody says is you African, whatever it may end up being. That is something to be proud of, not something to be joked about, not something to be played upon doing the dozens. Big nose, big lip. That's a positive trait. But our oppressor has turned it into something negative. For the most part, we don't really need another race of people to kill us. We'll do it. And I really think it's because of what other people have convinced us our worth is. I'll say this. Uh, well, there was a murder in the club uh, a couple days ago, and a guy, he didn't even run. He looked at the police and said, I killed that nigga. As if he was doing the policeman a favor. One of the questions that I ask in just about every one of my lectures is, how do you feel about black people? No matter what I tell you at this lecture, if you don't love or like being black or African or whatever we're calling ourselves this week, then why would you want to be by with, spin with, protect, make them healthy? if you don't love them in the first place. So peace to the elder John Henry Clark. My name is David Banner and tune in to us um, on the David Banner podcast as well as davidbanner.com. Thank you. Peace, you guys. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So as you can see, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, t today, this afternoon, it's not our intention to discuss religion. Uh, we, we're going to forget religion. If we bring up religion, we'll be in an argument. And the best way to uh, keep away from arguments and differences, as I said earlier, put your religion at home, in the closet. Keep it between you and your God. Because if it hasn't done anything more for you than it has, you need to forget it anyway. Whether you are a Christian
Christian or a Muslim or a nationalist, we all have the same problem. They don't hang you because you're a Baptist. They hang you because hang you you're black. They don't attack me because I'm a Muslim. They attack me because I'm black. They attack all of us for the same reason. All of us catch hell from the same enemy. We're all in the same bag, in the same boat. We suffer political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation. All of them from the same enemy. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Anytime you're living in the 20th century, 1964, and you're walking around here singing, We Shall Overcome, the government has failed. This is part of what's wrong with you. You do too much singing. Today it's time to stop singing and start swinging. You can't sing up on freedom, but you can swing up on some freedom. Clay can sing, but singing didn't help him to become the heavyweight champion of the world. Swinging helped him. So this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. 22 million black victims of Americanism are waking up. And they're gaining a new political consciousness, becoming politically mature. And as they become, uh, develop this political maturity, they're able to see the recent trends in these uh, political elections. They see that the whites are so evenly divided that every time they vote, uh, the race is so close, they have to go back and count the votes all over again. And that, that, which means that any block, any minority that has a block of votes that stick together is in a strategic position. Either way you go, that's who gets it. You're, you're in a position to determine who goes to the White House and who stay in the doghouse. You're the one who has that power. You can keep Johnson in Washington, D.C., or you can send him back to his Texas cotton patch. You're the one who sent Kennedy to Washington. You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. When you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, de to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years. And all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and gotten it out of the way, and now they bring up you. And now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last. Because you're a chump, a political chump. What's up, world? It's your boy, Big Court, from the Holding Court Podcast. 
If you're a fan of authentic interviews with legendary artists and notable people in the culture, subscribe to the Holding Court Podcast. See, we a show that cover artist interviews, hip-hop culture, lifestyle, and current topics. Huh. We got the D-Boys and the B-Boys. See, HCP is where the streets and black excellence meet and is brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators.